when you're having those conversations with religious friends and neighbors, don't you look forward to that instrumental music discussion? I mean, don't you just get so excited thinking about that next opportunity? You're talking to somebody, you're having a good discussion about the Bible, you're going through and you're studying and you're, you're getting excited because you feel like this is, uh, this is going to be a great opportunity and, and I see a high level of interest here. And all of a sudden that question comes up, well now, tell me about why y'all don't have instrumental music in worship. I mentioned in the lesson on the thousand year reign of Christ that you're probably not going to have that discussion very often. You're not going to have that question. It's going to come up, maybe. But there are other questions that are going to come up a lot. And as I look at the different topics in the book that we've been working through on why we believe certain things and why we don't believe certain things, this is one of the subjects that's going to come up a lot. And as you get into the discussion, you talk about Bible authority and you look at the examples in the scriptures, and we're going to be doing that in a few moments, you, you just have this overwhelming sense that the person you're talking to, in their mind, this is what they're thinking. What's the big deal? I mean, why does this really matter? <coughs> And it kind of goes back to that first lesson. You remember at the beginning of the year on why we believe it makes a difference what you believe? Well, it matters because it's a subject that's addressed in the Bible. And if we're going to speak where the Bible speaks and be silent where the Bible is silent, then we need to address that subject. And if we're going to speak as it were the oracles or the utterances of God, we're going to have to address that subject in the way that God addresses that subject. In, in his work. Now, this, this thought that, what's the big deal? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to illustrate, I'm going to illustrate a point by looking at a real-life example that existed during the first century that, that's tot totally alien in the world of religion in which we live, at least in this country. And it goes back even to the time of the Israelites as they entered the promised land. And what I'm referring to is pagan worship, more specifically the immorality that was connected with pagan worship. We've seen this in our study of First and Second Corinthians because in the church at Corinth, there were those who came out of pagan idolatry which involved not only eating of meat sacrificed to idols, but it involved prostitutes. There was a temple in the city of Corinth where there were a thousand prostitutes. And so if you obeyed the gospel and that was your background, can, you're asking, what does that have to do with instrumental music? I'm, I'm getting to the point. Can you imagine how difficult it would be to change the thinking of those who were accustomed to that. In Acts chapter 15, the letter that was written that was circulated among the Gentile churches, 
and it was circulated, it was written to address the, the influence of the Judaizing teachers who were saying that you had to be circumcised to be saved and keep other rites of the Old Testament law. But remember, this letter was going to be going out to the Gentiles. So men went to Judea, they discussed this matter of the Judaizing influence and what they were teaching, and they compiled this letter. And it's interesting when you look at that letter, there's something in it that is very short. It, 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 just, it just doesn't fit the entire discussion. In Acts chapter 15, you'll notice in verse uh, 19, therefore it is my judgment, this is James speaking, that we do not trouble those who are turning to God from among the Gentiles, but that we write to them that they abstain from things contaminated by idols, which was an issue, and from fornication, and from what is strangled, and from blood. For Moses from ancient generations has in every city those who preach him since he is read in the synagogues every Sabbath. Now, when you look at those instructions, what, what do you find there that just kind of jumps off the page? They're writing a letter telling the Gentiles, same thing you tell your teenagers, <laughs> no fornication. Why were they incorporating that into the letter? Because it was such a problem. It was such a problem among the Gentiles. It was something that they were just used to. Now, what does this have to do with the, the point I made earlier? The, the question about instrumental music that's asked, what is the big deal? Well, nobody's going to get hurt. Nobody's going to go into a, a, a temple and engage in an act of worship with a prostitute and, and, and come away with something they didn't really want. You know, that was a big deal. So you could have those discussions and, and you felt strong about having those discussions, but when we come to this matter of instrumental music, yeah, we kind of do struggle in answering the question, well, what is the big deal? Well, it's only a big deal if it's something that we read about in, in, in the Scripture. So let's, let's just take a few moments to look at this subject from the biblical perspective and see why it is that we don't use instrumental music in worship. And this goes back, as was the case with the Lord's Supper, to the matter of Bible authority. Let's talk about Bible authority insofar as the difference between generic and specific commandments. Now, generic, that's more broad in scope. Specific is, is more narrow in scope. Go to Genesis chapter 6, and this is a very simple way to illustrate this, where there's a couple of examples from the Old Testament which most people are familiar with. That is the first one anyway, maybe not the second one. But in Genesis chapter 6, we read about the flood. And you know that Moses was commanded to build an ark. And I think most Bible students, or those who read the Bible, I should say, probably don't really hone in on this statement, the statement of Genesis 6 and verse 14, where God said to Noah, make for yourself an ark, of gopher wood. Most would say, yeah, I know that there was an ark. But the specific commandment that God made to Moses was to make that ark of gopher wood. Now, let's take that attitude. Maybe Moses is telling those who are helping him 
he goes down to Home Depot and he's buying some gopher wood for the ark. And the salesperson says, well, we, we don't really have a lot of gopher wood, but we got plenty of this other kind of wood. What's the big deal? Well, Moses says the big deal is that God said to make it of gopher wood. If God would have said build an ark and to make it of wood, then I would have had generic authority to use whatever type of wood was available. But when God specified gopher wood, it excluded everything else. Does that make sense? That's very simple, isn't it? And, and if you drop to the end of that chapter, that is Genesis chapter 6, you see in verse 22, thus Noah did according to all that God had commanded him. So he did. So we know for sure he not only built the ark, he built it of gopher wood. Now, let me just make a, a comment to the side here. This helps us understand why it is in that same chapter in verse 8. By inspiration, the author states, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. You know, we think maybe he found favor in the eyes of the Lord because he was one who cared about people. He was one who loved people. He helped people. He was... He was seeking to influence his family to be worshipers of God. You go over to the book of Hebrews and it says that he built that ark in reverence. When we think about reverence, that means he's on his knees. He's having a devotion every morning. Well, it also includes saying, no, we're only going to use gopher wood. He found favor in the eyes of God because he, he knew this idea that where God speaks, that's the authority. And that when God said go for wood, that eliminated every other type of wood. Now let's go to another example that our religious friends and neighbors may not be so familiar with. It's in 2 Kings chapter 5. And in this particular place, we read about a man named Naaman who was a leper. He was also a soldier. He was a man of influence, a person of influence in the army of Aram or Syria. And he had in his household a young Jewish girl that had been captured. And she, it got back to him from her, suggested that if he would go to Israel that he could be healed possibly of his leprosy. So she knew about the prophet Elisha who had miraculous powers. So he went. And this is how the story goes. Verse 10, 2 Kings chapter 5, Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh will be restored to you, and you will be clean. Well, here's Naaman. What's the big deal? What, what's the big deal with the Jordan River? Verse 11, Naaman was furious, and he went away, and he said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. We're always looking for the sensational. We don't want to just obey a commandment. We want something sensational. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? And maybe they were. What's the big deal? Why this river? 
Could I not wash in them and be clean? You see the point here? God speaking through the, the prophet Elisha said to do what? Go wash in the Jordan seven times. Now, if he had said, you go wash in the river or a river, that would have been generic authority. He could have chosen any river. But when God specified the Jordan River, that eliminated every other river. And I would also say it also set the number of times. What if he had said, well, three, three is good enough? Would he have been cleansed of his leprosy? Verse 13, that his servants came near. His servants, they're the, they're the smart ones in the crowd. And they spoke to him and said, My father, had the prophet told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, wash and be clean? So he went down, he dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the word of the man of God and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child and he was clean. Just do what God says. If God specifies, you have the authority to do exactly what God said, but everything else is excluded. Now let's go to Ephesians chapter 5. This is the first passage we're going to look at on singing as an act of worship. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, we're going to come back to this, but he states, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Look for the specifics. Look for the specifics. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. What did he specify? Singing. Did he name an instrument? That's your test. Did he name an instrument? He did name an instrument. And it's an instrument that every, every one who's singing has. It's the heart. You pluck the heart strings. That's the instrument that is to be used. Where is the authority for a mechanical instrument of music? Now let's talk about the difference between aids and additions. Aids versus additions. What is the difference between an aid to an act of worship or an addition to an act of worship? We'll use the Lord's Supper. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11... We talked about the Lord's Supper a few weeks ago, verses 23 through 25. We have the commandment concerning the Lord's Supper. I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So this is the commandment. We also know that they, when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, it was the Passover meal, which included unleavened bread and the fruit of the vine. Those were the specifics. When God specifies, it eliminates everything else. Someone once asked, well, why can't we have hamburgers and Diet Coke? as long as our heart is where it needs to be. Well, if our heart is where it needs to be, we'll be like Noah, who when told to build the ark of gopher wood, 
was given a specific commandment, he kept that commandment. We can't add to, that would be going beyond. Well, what about, what about the table? There is nothing in the Bible about a table. There is nothing in the Bible about a tray. We, we hand the, the tray. Well, we're going to start doing the, the tray again. What about the prepackaged emblems? The Bible doesn't address any of that. Those are aids. Those are aids. We haven't changed the general nature of the commandment whenever we use an aid in order to execute an act of worship. Now, the other passage that we go to to see the specifics concerning the act of worship, which is singing, is Colossians chapter 3. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Now, I also referenced verse 17 here. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. That means by the authority of Christ. So the subject of authority comes into play again, but if you look at the verse, that is verse 16, what is specified? What is specified is that we are to sing in our hearts. There again, you have the instrument. The instrument is the heart. Well, we use a, a pitch pot. We use a pitch pot or a tuning fork. Y'all remember those? Ting, the tuning fork. Now, Matt Blankenship earlier, who I don't see, but I know he's here, was looking for the, the little, there he is, the electronic. You know where that is? You couldn't find it, could you? It's back in the Young Disciples class. I think y'all took it back there when y'all were doing the, the song training. So that's where it's at. That was free. So now we know where that is. But that's an A. That's, that's not a mechanical instrument of music. I've never seen a band play with an electronic um, tuning device. It's just an A. Songbooks. You don't see anything referenced in the Bible about songbooks. Well, do we have authority for songbooks? We have, we have generic authority because we're not changing the nature of the commandment. I think you see the point. In 2 John verse 9... John writes in 2 John verse 9, anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. So as long as I'm abiding in the teaching of Jesus and the teaching of the apostles and those who received the Holy Spirit as sent by Christ, then I'm abiding in the doctrine or I'm abiding in the teaching of Jesus. If I add to that, then I'm going beyond. This is why. This is why it's such a big deal. Now, the last point I'll make is similar to what I did with the Lord's Supper. I want to address both sides of this act of worship. Okay, so we're singing without mechanical instruments and music, and that's all that really matters. I can, I can be thinking about lunch. I can be thinking about the Super Bowl. I can be thinking about my 401k plan. I can be thinking about anything I want to think about. I've met the checklist. I've assembled with the saints, and I've sang without a mechanical instrument and music. 
You get where I'm going with this. No, there's a spirit side to this, this matter of worship. I like the words of the author of Proverbs who stated in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 5, that every word of God is tested. I like that. That means you can, you can um, I started to say put it in your pipe and smoke it. That's, that's what we used to say. But, but you can bank on it. It's been tested. Don't think that you can improve on what God has said. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words or he will reprove you and you will be proved a liar. In other words, if we speak where the Bible does not speak, we're not speaking the truth. And when we're not speaking the truth, it's a hard word, but it's the word that he uses here. That makes us a liar. In John chapter 4, Jesus, in teaching the woman at the well of Samaria, discussing the matter of worship and the difference between the, the worship that they practiced and the worship that was to come, Jesus said that an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth for such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. Now, I don't know about the rest of it. But I want God to be happy with me. I want to worship Him, but I want Him to seek me as a worshiper of Him. And the way I do that is by worshiping Him in spirit and truth. Verse 24 follows up, God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. I want my mind to be engaged. I, I don't want to just say I sang without an instrument. I'm going to go beyond that, and I want to follow what Paul instructed in 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 15, that I'm going to sing with the, with the mind. I want to sing with the heart. And so when I sing songs of praise to God, I'm not just thinking about the fact that I'm, I'm, I'm doing this the way he wants me to do it on the true side, but I want to do it the way he wants me to do it insofar as the spirit is concerned as well. I know those discussions on instrumental music are kind of like going to the dentist office. And maybe it's something we just don't look forward to. But I don't think it's maybe as difficult as sometimes we make it if we'll just put a little thought into it and, and see what the Bible teaches on the subject. And I think anybody here can do that. I think you've seen just how simple the, the subject is when you have a basic understanding of the subject of authority. Let's go to God in prayer.